0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Psychologists have, over uh, the last number of years, done a great deal of study and, and t- done a lot, taken a lot of interest in how birth order Tends to affect personalities, and they found some some rather astonishing things. That there are certain personality types that come with certain birth orders. So, um, anybody here, firstborn? Any firstborn? Okay, I'm I'm one of you. I'm a firstborn. Firstborn tend to be reliable, conscientious, structured, cautious, controlling, achievers. Yeah. <laughs> That's us, firstborn, okay? Secondborn. Secondborn tend to be people pleasers, somewhat rebellious, especially if the first child has been good, the second may become bad. They try harder to be heard or get noticed. They have a large social circle and they tend to be peacemakers. Any secondborns out there? Does that kind of fit with you? Man, not so much. Now, lastborns? Okay, last-borns, if you're the youngest child in the family, you tend to be fun-loving, uncomplicated, outgoing, manipulative, attention-seeking, and (laughs) self-centered. I'm just saying. And if you have to be a second-born who is also a last-born, you have deep psychological problems. (laughs) Email me this week, I'll set you up with a therapist, okay? Okay. I bring all that up because today we're going to look at a story that Jesus told about two brothers. And um, it is part of the story. We have this, this year been going all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in a series called The Story. And we are now into the New Testament and we're looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. And, and Jesus is really the culmination of the story. All of the story of human history, God's redemptive work in this world, all finds its culmination and climax in Jesus Christ and what he did on this earth and how he gave his life on the cross so that we could be redeemed. And then resurrected to change our destinies. And Jesus came to this earth to make the Father known. He came so that we could come to know God. And, one, and he did it in a number of different ways. He, he healed. He performed miracles. He, he taught. But the primary way that he taught was with stories. And it's fascinating to me that this story of redemption in human history is culminated in one of the greatest storytellers there ever were. Now, we call them parables, but what they really are are stories. They are stories about everyday events that apply to the kingdom of God. And this morning, we're going to look at one story. And this is a story I've preached on often around here because it is one of those stories that actually was life transforming for me, ministry transforming for me. 25 years ago, when we were just dreaming about the beginnings of this church and the kind of church that we wanted to be, I was reading one day through the gospel of Luke. And it was in Luke chapter 15. And I'd read these stories before, but it just began to hit me. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories back to back to back. Now, here's one of the first things in Bible study and Bible reading. When God says something twice in a row, it's really important. When he says it three times in a row... You really better pay attention, okay? And he tells these three stories about lost things and being found and throwing a party. And the culmination of this is this story that's found at the end of chapter, uh, chapter 15 of the Luke's gospel. And we're going to read it this morning. So if you want to turn there, Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 11. Um, if, by the way, you have your copy of the story, your, your book with you, it's at the bottom of page 337. This is the story that Jesus told. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his Said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his, Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, that's a part of the story we are very, very familiar with. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Of course he was. He was a firstborn. (laughs) When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property on prostitutes come home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Robert Frost once said, Home is where when you go there, they have to take you in. And I think the older brother would say, Not so fast. And it makes me kind of wonder, and maybe it makes you kind of wonder, what would have happened in this story if the older brother had seen his younger brother returning before the father got to him? What would have happened? How would that story have ended? And it makes me further wonder how many younger brothers would love to return home and be with their heavenly father, but are denied that opportunity because of older brothers. George Barna, head of Barna Research I actually did a study a number of years ago, published a book about it called UnChristian. They went out and to find people who were not a part of the Christian faith, people who were outside of the church, and they just asked them their perceptions of church. And overwhelmingly, what they got back over and over and over again is they're hypocritical, they're insensitive, and judgmental people. Kind of sounds an awful lot like older brothers. How many people are repelled from the faith because of older brothers. See, Jesus told this story. He told the story because the religious people of his day couldn't understand why he was hanging out with irreligious people. He told the story because they were asking why why a rabbi, why an upright righteous man would be spending so much time with publicans and tax collectors and sinners. They couldn't understand that. And so Jesus told the story. And I think he told it as a warning to them and a warning to us. Because here's one thing that I have noticed over the years. It seems to me that the longer people have been in the faith, the more there's a tendency for the sense of superiority to well up. And there's this thing that you might call older brother syndrome that can so easily set in. And we said years ago that we don't want to be that kind of church. In fact, we want to be a church that changes the way people view the church. Which means we have to be constantly on our guard against older brother syndrome. So I want to look at this story a little bit more in depth. And I want to kind of take it apart and, and have every one of us. And I think the point of this all is for every one of us to examine ourselves. What are the symptoms of older brother syndrome? And how does it set in? And how can we make sure that we don't become a part of that problem? And there's some things from this story, I think, that really stand out for us. I think older brother syndrome starts when we mistake performance for presence. We make this mistake in thinking that it's all about our performance. That's the, one, that's the one that I think the older brother, that was his basic mistake. He had been there all along. He never went out and you know, went to the far country. He had been at home the whole time. The problem was even though he was there physically, his heart was still far from his father's heart. And it comes up in the way that he reacts. It says the older brother, when he heard about this party going on, he became angry and refused to go in. So that his father had to go out and plead with him. Rather than taking part in the party, he would rather have his own little pity party off to the side. And he couldn't understand why the father would throw a party for this wayward son. What's, irony, what's ironic to me is what he says next. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your, our orders. Now, what I find ironic in that statement is here is the son who has wandered far away and gets to the point where he's willing to come back, not as a son, but just as his father's slave. But the older brother who had been there all along sees himself as a slave. Doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And it's so easy to slip into think that our relationship with God is dependent on our performance. And it is not. What he wants is for us to be with him. When our kids were growing up, as they got older, we started giving them more and more chores. Um, and that was part of our household, you know. As, as you got to be teenagers, you had chores. And everybody had chores around the house. And one of the chores that my son had was mowing the lawn. And I insisted that he do it right, you know. So we had constant arguments about mowing the lawn. You know, we wouldn't, wouldn't edge it, wouldn't do it. It was just like every week it seemed like it was just like pulling teeth to get him to do his chore. And it was just over and over again. And we would just have these arguments. And we just like, it was It was just driving me crazy, and we just had this argument every single weekend, and finally one weekend as we're having this little discussion about mowing the lawn, finally one day he just said, you just had me to do work for you, (laughs) and I thought about that. They say on average to raise a child up until age 18, it costs somewhere in the neighborhood of $245,000. Now, if you do the math on that, okay, it was probably like six years at the most that he had this chore in the house. And you figure it cost, it took him about 20 minutes to a half hour. So once a week, okay, about half an hour a week, I was paying $775 a week to get my lawn mowed. I was not getting my money's worth. That is older brother syndrome. See, when we have this sense that somehow God just loves me because of what I do for him. We're developing this sense that somehow God owes me for all the things that I do for him. That is the beginning of older brother syndrome. And it sneaks in very, very subtly. Have you ever had a prayer need? and, And you went and prayed to God about something and you started your prayer with God you know how faithful I have tried to be to you God you know how how much I serve you and how much I love you have you anybody ever or am I just the only one that has done that okay <laughs> that is older brother syndrome it's a sense of okay God I have done so much for you could you just do this little thing for me Like I'm bargaining with God, like he owes me something. And we think that our obedience and our right living, that somehow we are paying for the blessings of God in our life. And that's not the way that it works. Because it's not about performance. What God really wants is just be present with me. And older brother syndrome sets in. when we start thinking that God owes us something. And it's all about our performance. That is not the basis of a relationship with him. But it is the beginning of older brother syndrome. Secondly, I think we're in danger of older brother syndrome when we choose comparison over compassion. Because that's what he's doing. Now he's starting to make comparisons. And and here's the thing is, when we become performers, the next thing that happens with that is that now we become judges of everybody else's performance. And we start comparing how well we behave and how how well we do and how upright we are compared with everybody else. And there's a big problem with that is because we don't make honest judgments. There is this thing that is called self-serving bias. Self-serving bias is our ability to inflate our own virtue and exaggerate the flaws and failures of other people around us. And that's what you see here. He says, I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Never. Never? You notice it? I have never disobeyed yours, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. See, there's that that overinflated sense of my virtue. And then there's the exaggeration of his faults and failures. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, if you read the story, there was no mention there of him squandering on prostitutes. There's no mention of prostitutes at all. See, this is the imagination of the older brother. And that's the problem. When you start making judgments and assessments and judging other people's performances, you don't know them. You don't really know where they're at. You don't even know where they've been. And you have no idea what's going on inside. And that's the problem with older brother syndrome. We start making judgments that we are not equipped to make. It's not our place. His assessment of the whole thing, it's not fair. I've been the good son. I stayed at home. I've worked hard for you. It's not fair. It's not fair. Let me tell you this morning, the kingdom of God is not fair. Because if we all got what we deserved, yeah. It's not about fairness. It's about grace. Here's the other thing. Have you ever noticed this about fairness? The people who complain about things being not fair is usually not the person who has gotten the better part of the deal. You notice that? When your kids complain it's not fair, the kid who got the bigger slice of cake, he's not the one that complains about it, right? It's the one who got the short end of the stick. They're the ones who say, it's not fair. So the next time one of your kids says to you, it's not fair, you say, neither is the kingdom of God. (laughs) little theology there thrown right in for free, you know? Because it's not about fairness. It's about grace. Comparison always leads to judgmentalism. And with that comes a sense of superiority. And neither one of those are the heart of the father. And both of them can keep younger brothers from ever coming home. He is so caught up in comparing himself to his younger brother that there's no sense of compassion. You know, Nowhere in the story does he show that he has any interest in where his younger brother might be. Has no idea what happened to him. Has no idea where he is or how his life is turning out. For however long it was, and we don't know how long it was. But there is never any indication that he thought one whit about his younger brother. There's no indication that he even thought that maybe I ought to go out and try and find him and bring him home. And there is no indication even that he had compassion on his father who must be in anguish over the loss of his son. No compassion there at all. That's what happens when you, when you start comparing you start judging, you lose your sense of compassion. When you see a homeless person or someone who is down and out, is your initial reaction, well, they must have done something to deserve this. That's older brother syndrome. It has no place in the kingdom of God. I think we do well to remember the words of the apostle Paul who simply wrote, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I think older brother syndrome sets in when we're always seeking God's approval instead of celebrating his love. See, I think that's the bottom line. The older brother, he, he is, he's unsure of where he stands with his father. And he has this insecurity about his relationship with the father. And the biggest reason for his insecurity is he doesn't understand his father. He is insecure in his position, and so he's always striving to get his father's approval, being the good son, doing all the right things and all of that, when, when he doesn't understand that his father loves him just the way that he is. And, and his lack of approval over his brother brings a lack of approval about the, the party that his father is throwing for him. And then he has missed the heart of his father so much so that his father has to go out and plead with him to come into the party. Because, see, the party is for everybody. That's what, that's, the heart of the father is he wants both his sons to be at the party. But the older brothers removed himself from it by his own decision. He hasn't gone off to the far country and squandered away his wealth. He's just kept himself out of the party. But he's just as lost. Doesn't understand his father's love. My son, his father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Those are the exact same words that he just said a few moments ago before the party when he welcomed the younger son home. Because the father loves both his sons. This is the great deal. This is the great part of the story is the father loves both his sons. He loves the wayward son. And he loves the self-righteous son. He cares about them both. And then Jesus is telling the story because he wants us to know. Whether you are a wayward, wandering, younger brother type. Or a self-righteous, smug, judgmental, older type. Father still loves you. And the party is for you. Party is for me. The party is not a reward. It's a gift. The other thing about this story, I don't know if you've noticed this, it's left unresolved. There's no end to the story. It just ends right there. We never find out. What did the older brother do? Did he ever change his mind and decide to go into the party? Did he keep staying away? Did he, did he, did he abandon his father completely? Did he ignore his father's pleas? Did he, did he ever once turn around and say, you know what? I, I'm done with my pity party. I'm going to join the big party. We don't know. And I think Jesus told the story and ended it that way specifically. Because I think what he's doing is he's putting it in our laps. Because the real response is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the Father's love? What are you going to do with the Father's mercy and grace? What are you going to do with a God who welcomes younger, wayward, straying brothers and self-righteous, smug older brothers? Because that's really what it comes down to. And the truth of the matter is, there's a little bit of both brothers in all of us. There's a bit of waywardness and rebellion in every one of us. And there's a little bit of self righteous, smug judgmentalism in all of us. I think Jesus leaves a story there because he wants us to examine ourselves and take some stock and decide maybe we need to change. Would you bow your heads with me?